So I'll open us up with prayer. We can get started. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this time, Father. It's just so much going on right now, so much going on in the world, so much going on with some people, Father. So we just want to be mindful to take some time, Lord, and ask that you come see about us, Father. Father, we pray that you be with us, that you continue to bless us, Lord, that you sustain us, you hold us, you keep us together, Father. You protect us as we go and as we come, Father. You continue to pour your word into us, Father, that will ultimately strengthen us, Father, and gird us as we stand for your truth in a world that it's slowly, slowly fading. Father, we pray that you make our hearts receptive soil to that which you would say. And if it be your will, allow it to bring forth a crop, 30, 60, even 100-fold, that your name gets the glory and the honor that it deserves. It's in the mighty, matchless name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, today we're going to look at chapter 12, and prayerfully, prayerfully, we're going to try to get to chapter 13, or at least some of chapter 13. Luckily, I get to do this again next week, if the Lord says so, so if whatever I don't cover, I'll pick it up next week. So we'll start with chapter 12 of this wonderful, wonderful book. Um, you've heard it countless times, everybody that has gotten up here has said the book of Romans is a magnificent book. It's a magnificent letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. And if you know anything about the Romans, they were the ones that were in charge. They were the ones that were occupying at that time. And so Paul sends them a letter, and the letter details so much of the gospel. There's so much practicality in it. There's so much covering of the spiritualness, justification. All of that wonderful stuff is in the letter of Romans, to the point where if all you had were the letter of Romans, you would be all right. That's how good this letter is. So today we're going to transition, and Paul is moving us out of the doctrinal section of the letter into the practical section. This is how you do it. And I don't think this was by mistake. Oftentimes, people in religion will tell you what to do first and before they teach you. They'll emphasize duty and what needs to be done. You need to do this. You need to do this to be a Christian. You need to do that. So that it, it almost becomes work-based. And we know that there is no work-based because why? Because Christ has done it all. It's response-based. So Paul gives us teachings in the first 11 chapters. And in verse 12 on, on out, he gives us duty. What, it, what we should do. What it should look like practically. And we'll get into that. Um, this chapter is maybe one of my... Most favorite chapters, and I don't know, I guess it's how the Lord disseminated the information to me. Growing up, my favorite cartoon was Voltron. I don't know why Voltron was my favorite cartoon. Caesar too. My favorite cartoon was Voltron. I don't know what it was about it. It was the lions and how they all came together, and then they formed this mighty defender of the universe. I just loved everything about it. But the fact that they had to come together to create this 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 super robot, if you will, that would go around fighting and displacing evil throughout the whole universe. And then it would make this flaming sword. And I always thought that was like the sword of the word, you know. It would make this flaming sword and it would like just dash all the enemies. 
Well, when I read chapter 12, immediately that's what the Lord brought back to my remembrance. Long time ago, Voltron. So we'll see how it all works together and see if it makes sense. And we'll put it together. Um, we'll start with verse 1. I'll try to get through it. Verse 1 is loaded. Loaded. There are so many people who have just preached sermons on this first verse. That's how loaded it is. But we'll see how we can get through it today. All right, Santosh, you set me up. All right, we'll go. Here we go. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, we have to stop right there. Anytime you come to a therefore in the Bible, you have to stop and pause and ask yourself what it's there for. And the reason that it's there is because of everything that we have previously covered in chapters 1 through 11. Now, Pastor Russ took it easy on you guys. He didn't let me just do the whole book, and he took it easy on you. In the first three chapters of this book, Paul really beats us up. He beats us up. And what he shows us is that there is absolutely no one on the face of this planet that can stand before God. We are all fallible. We have all fallen short. We have all messed up. There's no one that can stand before God. None of us are good. I think he goes on to say there are none good. No, not nobody, no one. None are good. And he really drives that home. But he drives that home for the big setup. Justification and salvation. Justification. Just as if I never sinned. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has paid the price for us. Jesus has taken away our stained, our sin stains, if you will. He's taken them all away. And he has made us what? Right with God. He is, we, we have taken on his righteousness. And when God sees us, the Father sees us, he sees us as righteous because of what Jesus has done. And so Paul says, you don't have to worry about falling short or missing the mark or feeling like you, you don't meet, meet that mark because of what Jesus has done. And then he goes on to give us some more uh, building, building words to just build up our faith. And then he gets to an interesting section that uh, Minister Jason sp spoke about last week. And he starts talking about the Jews. And he talks about how they were given the oracles. They were trusted with the oracles, the scriptures, that they were supposed to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be God's representation. And somehow, well, not somehow, I guess we all know how it happens. You get the big head or you start to think high, higher of yourself than you should and you lose sight of what your purpose is. And because of that, it says that they were broken off. And then verse 10 talks about how we, the Gentiles, who are not Jews, were then grafted in because of what? Because of our faith. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he had done for us. So now we're grafted in. But the warning comes and says, now be careful that you don't get puffed up. Because just as they were broken off and you were grafted in, you could be broken off too. And then verse 11 tells you that they will ultimately be grafted back in. That once they get it before time, they have been blinded. So that what? So that the full number of the Gentiles can come on into the faith. 
See, God's plan is not just for the Jews. He just used to Jew, the Jews to spread his message to the world. And through the Jews came Jesus, and Jesus is the light of the world, and he has sent that word out to the Gentiles, and now we are all on fire. We all are the light of the world. And he's not done with the Jew by any, by any stretch. They'll, one day they'll come back to their realization. I believe it's in Zechariah or one of them. It says, Lord, how did you get those marks and all of that? Say, I got them in the house of my friends. They'll, their eyes will be open to what they've done and what has happened, but he will bring them back to where they were positionally. And then we'll all be together as one family because the Bible says, I think it's John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world, not the Jews or not the Gentiles, but the entire world. That's all of us. But his plan has to work out so that it can encompass and grab all of us and pull us in. And basically, that's what Paul is setting up in the first 11 chapters of the book. And then we get to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is so powerful, and we, as we just read, that's what the therefore is, is there for. That's what the therefore is there for. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Thank you, God, for your mercy. By the mercies of God. That you, here it is, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I got to stop and deal with that for a minute. Now, of course, this culture that he's talking to would be very familiar with sacrifices, the sacrificial system. For their sins that they've committed, they would have to bring all kind of stuff to atone and to cover, and it was bloody. It was a bloody mess. So they would understand what it meant for a sacrifice to happen. And so when he uses this language, we are living sacrifice, it might catch you like, okay, what does that mean? So I offer myself, not bloody because Jesus shed his blood for us, but we still offer ourselves. But there's a word before that qualifies it. It says living. So what I always thought, I was like, oh, okay. So that means that um, I, I've offered myself, but as things happen and circumstances go, I can get up and get off again and walk away. And then as, as I get convicted, I can come back and offer myself again. See, it's a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that can get up. It can walk away. It can go away when times get hard or when it gets too rough to stay sacrificed. That's what I thought. But then as I started to dig into it and do some other reading, I, 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 I heard one pastor talk about a story of a, a missionary. She was a teenager. Right after uh, high school, she decided that she wanted to give her life to God. And she wanted to be a missionary. She didn't want to go to college. She just wanted to be a missionary. But there was, I guess there was missionary school or something she had to go through. And she had to go through missionary school. And she went through it. And she finally got through it. She had, she had only one ask of God. She said, God, I'll, I'll, I'll devote my entire life to you. Your plan is my plan. I'll do whatever you want me to do on the mission field. The only thing that I ask is that you give me a husband. And so she's gone through school and she's learning and she's meeting some nice people. But at the end of her, her, her learning, at, at the end of her schooling, she hadn't met anybody. And she found herself kind of upset that she was about to embark on this missionary journey alone. 
and she found herself upset. And it was in her getting upset that she realized something. She realized that she had not totally sacrificed herself, that she hadn't given up. What it was is, or what it means is, she had not totally turned over the keys to her life. She still had requirements. She still had a a plan for her life that she wanted God to ultimately execute for her. And so she saw that because everything didn't fall into place. She realized that all she could say was, Lord, do with me whatever it is that you would have for me. And that was the key to the living sacrifice. See, it's not that uh, we still have the power to get up and change our minds or to walk away once we've offered ourselves, but it's that once we've offered ourselves and we've offered ourselves 100% completely, that we realize that life begins. That's what the living sacrifice is. Once we've totally made the sacrifice, life begins. See, we have plans. We go through life. We say, okay, Lord, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to be that. I want to I go to school and I want to get my degree. And I had all kind of plans for my life. Musical plans, uh, acting plans, and now church plans. But they're still my plans. And inevitably, I inevitably... I make the mistake of saying, Lord, this is how I want it to be. This is how I see it. Instead of just offering myself to the Lord and allowing him to order my steps. And sometimes that is so difficult. In fact, I think it is the most, one of the most difficult things that we as Christians can do. And that is to take our hands off the wheel to give God the keys, to give him 100% control over our lives, everything. Even if we mean well, even if we mean well, you will find that you still kind of have your hand on the wheel. And so when he talks about being a living sacrifice, Paul is talking about taking your hands completely off the wheel and trusting God every step of the way. When you do that, And when you do that, not when you do that, we'll get to that part. But look what Paul says after that. He said, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Watch this. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Other versions say your, 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 your reasonable worship. But your reasonable. So, so that's like saying this is the least you can do. Christ gave you everything. He gave up everything for you. So the least you could do is give up everything for him. That is your reasonable service. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world. Don't be shaped in the mold of this world. This is so hard to do sometimes, especially as a young man. You find, I find myself trying to, to, to fit in, to fit in with the crowd. Even though I understood church and the Bible and God and everything, you still like to be liked. You still want to be, excuse me, a part of the crowd. You still want people to accept you. And sometimes we, we, we compromise God's 
statutes or our walk with God to satisfy the world. And Paul is saying, <coughs> we shouldn't do that. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Watch this. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now that renewing is something that is ongoing. It happens on a consistent basis. I find for myself personally that whenever I'm, I stray away from reading the Bible as I should, I tend to get a little more worldly. The stuff that you watch on TV, the things that you hear in the news kind of affect you differently. It hits you differently. But when I'm in the word and I'm reading the word and I'm studying the word and I'm coming to Bible study and I'm here on Sundays and I'm listening to Marty teach and all that good stuff. Whenever I'm diligently in the world, in the word, the world's grasp on me is different. My 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 take on the world is different. The things that are happening don't hit me so hard, especially now with everything's going on. I see a great divide happening. We've, we've seen it happen over the last three or four years that people are taking sides on this side and people are taking sides on here. Everything that's happening in the world is causing us to take sides. But when you have a biblical worldview and you understand what the scriptures are saying, there's only one side we stand on, and that's on God's side. And on his word, his word is tried and true. And you know exactly where you should be if you stay in his word. He says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I hear so many people say, I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. I, I want to know if I'm, I'm walking in God's will. I, I want to know if, if, if I'm fulfilling God's will. I'll tell you, if, if your mind is in those scriptures, if you're constantly seeking God, you're in the will. You are in the will. It goes back to the living sacrifice. You have a, you have a tendency to open yourself up to his leading, to his guiding to the Holy Spirit taking you where God ultimately wants you. And watch this. I guarantee you 100% it is fulfillment. It is satisfaction. There's nothing better in your life than what God has for you ultimately. Now, he can get you there through whatever you do. We can make wrong turns. We can make mistakes. We're not talking about that. I don't believe we were talking about it a little earlier. I don't believe that God punishes you for every mistake. But there are consequences that you have to go through, through those mistakes, and God uses them to drive you ultimately to the place where you were supposed to be. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament, in the stories of the patriarchs. God came and told Abraham, get ye to the, to the earth, or get thee to the land that I have made for you. And you, as you read the story, you see he, he told him to get away from his kindred, his family, his friends, everybody. And he took his father and he took his nephew. And because of that, his father said, oh, well, let's stop here for a little while. It was delayed. It was a delayed journey. Because the journey was delayed, when he finally delayed, decided to leave and he got to the place where God had told him to go he happened to get there when a famine happened and because a famine had happened and he had just got there he had to go to Egypt 
And because he has to go to Egypt, he went there and he knew his wife looked gorgeous. I wonder what an 80-year-old gorgeous woman looked like, but go ahead on. He, she was gorgeous, and the king saw her and wanted her. And then he said, well, I don't want him to kill me for you, so won't you just go on over there? We'll say you're my sister, which is kind of true. But I will say you're my sister and you can go hang out over there. You see, the decisions just fold and fold and fold. And then ultimately God comes and say, no, you got that man's wife. And then Pharaoh says, man, what are you doing? Why are you giving this wife? You ain't have to do that. You have to lie to me or whatever. And because of that, he said, look, I'm going to bless you. Take this, take this, take these maids, take this, take Hagar. And then he gets Hagar and he goes on. There was a promise that was given years ago, but because he had just got to the promised land, which some scholars believe was 25 years after the call, now they have a question. They say, well, uh, God said we was going to have a kid, but you're looking real old, Abram. I don't know what's going to happen. And the custom being conformed to the world, the custom of the day was, oh, you can take one of your handmaids or one of, my, of the uh, lady's handmaids and you can conceive with her and then that child will be your child. You can take them in and everything. That was the culture of the day. And so they said, well, let's do that because I guess that's what God meant because we're old and we can't have it. And we see that it was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake. But you see that God never judged or punished Abraham because of that. But the consequences of that are alive and well today. All because Abraham didn't immediately just go where God told him to go. It wasn't a sin. wasn't nothing wrong with it. But when you delay, those are the things that can happen. And God can still use it. God can still bless. Abraham is still the father of many nations, but there are just some hiccups and some headaches along the way. Prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We ain't going to make it, Pastor Ruth. Uh, <laughs> verse 3 say, For I say through the grace that has been given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly, there it is, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So now that you, are, you, you have uh, uh, sacrificed your, your living sacrifice and, and you are transformed, you're not conformed, you're transformed, now he's telling you, don't get the big head. Don't, don't think highly of yourself. Don't think that you are more special than anyone else. Conversely, it's also saying don't think too lowly. When it talks about uh, but to think soberly according as God has dealt, that also means don't think low of yourself because God has elevated you. God has picked you up out of the dirt and out of the mire and has cleaned you up by his blood and given you a purpose. He's given you a reason to live. You have a purpose. You have a reason. And you get to carry on. And then Paul changes the motif. And then he gets to go into the Voltron section, as I told you before. Paul says in verse 4, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we all make up the body of Christ. And then this is where it gets fun. 
Verse 6, it says, having then gifts, deferring according to the grace that is given to us. And then it goes on to talk about gifts. When you are born again, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit gives gifts. You get it? The gift of the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Now, you can look at these gifts, and this is how I look at the gifts. I look at the gifts as infinity stones. Everybody everybody familiar with the Avengers and Endgame and all that good stuff? These gifts are infinity stones. These are the power. These are the power that God gives the body. It's seven of them. And I personally believe, believe, I personally believe that these seven gifts are distributed to each and every believer, believer, meaning we each have one of these gifts primarily working in our lives. We can have subsets of them, but these seven gifts, I believe each one of us has one that works primarily in our life. He says, having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Prophecy is one infinity stone. Prophecy. Now, that could be foretelling, telling the, 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 the future, what's going to happen. It can also be forthtelling. I believe here on the other side of the New Testament, uh, prophecy shows itself as foretelling. That means that you, 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 you speak the scriptures to a certain situation in people's lives that's applicable and on time. God will give you a word that is a scripture that matches, that meets people where they are, that will encourage them. There's a fore, but I still believe that there are foretelling aspects too. God can use that. So in the body, some of us are gifted. Our primary gifting is prophecy. Then the other one is ministry or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. All that is is service. Some of us have the gift of serving. We just kick in. Whenever there's something that needs to be done, something in a, in, inside of us just kicks in. And we serve. It says, let us wait on serving. That means that you, you, you look for opportunities to serve in the body or, or even in your lives. As you're, you, you, you're just a servant. You have a servant's heart. Serving ministry. Or he that teaches, let him teach. Teaching is a gift. Pastor Russ went down. He said, Eric is sick. He said, I'll do it. I said, man, you got a lot on your plate. You know what? My infinity stone is teaching. I said, we're going to see what it do. We're going to kick in. Let's, let's do it. Teaching. Or he that exhorts, which is just uh, encouragement. Those who can encourage in the body. Now, I know we've all been in church and someone will just come up to you and you may be having a bad day. You may be struggling with whatever it is, but they have an on-time word for you. They encourage you. They tell you to keep going. You can do it. The Lord gave me a word and just told me to come tell you, you can hold on. You can make it. Gary always has a good word for us sometimes. He's an exhorter. That means encouraging. And then another gift is giving. He that gives, let him do it. Sim simplicity. Let him do it with simplicity. That means these are your givers. They just love to give. That means they give with no strings attached. 
They give from their hearts. They're looking for any situation. You say, hey, we need this today. They're the first ones in line to give. Time, talent, or treasure, whatever it is, whatever's needed, they're always there to give. He that rules, these are those, these are your leaders. These are your natural-born leaders. It says to do it with diligence. That means that they're good leaders. They're good. They're, they're respectable. They don't take advantage of their position. They were born to lead. They have the gift of leadership, administration, some versions will say. They have that gift, and God just uses them. You know, people just automatically follow them because they have good ideas. They're, they're just good people. They have the gift of ruling, of administration. And then the last one is mercy. And it says they do it with cheerfulness. These are those people who don't hold grudges. They, you, they, they're, they're easy to forgive. They're quick to forgive. They always forget wrongs. These are the people who, they, 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 they don't come to you and tell you, hey, next time you do that. They don't tell you that. They, these people just, they have a good, merciful spirit. They have a loving spirit about themselves. And these gifts make up the body. And every church that is successful, every church that's, that's walking in power should have these gifts just flowing. And not in one person, but in all of the people who are in that church or in that congregation. You should see these giftings all working, working together, work, making ministry as a whole beautiful, exciting, impactful, life-changing. It's powerful. It's the power that we have as Christians in this world. It's our infinity stone. It's our gauntlet. It's how we avenge. It's how we take control. Amen? Then it says, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And then he goes on to just give you a list of things, just a list of how your life should just work. And watch this. All of this doesn't just take place on Sunday. It's really shown and worked out Monday through Saturday when you go to work. You come here, you come to the gathering to be refreshed. You come to the gathering to be taught, to be encouraged, to where the gifts just fill you up. And then throughout the week, you, you release your gifting on, on the world, whether they accept it or not. This is your person. This is your character. This is who you are in Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Paul says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, not slothful or lazy in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing, watch this, instant in prayer. Another power that we have is the power of prayer. There's so many little ticky-tack things going on around this church body that we should just always be praying. We have prayer cards. We have prayer chains. We have prayer messages. We, we have all kinds of prayer opportunities. And we should constantly and always be praying just for God just to continue to protect this body, continue to use this body, continue to make this body an influence in this community. Amen? Amen. Be instant in prayer. 
uh, verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints. Whoever has need, we give to them. Given to hospitality. Watch this. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Don't curse them. They have no control over your life. You have the infinity gauntlet. You have the power. They can just annoy you. They can just get under your skin, but they have no power over you because of what God has done, because of what Christ has done for you, because of who we are in the body. We have given ourselves. He says, bless them that persecute you. Curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. That just means in all the situations that we find ourselves in, we can be level-headed. We can meet people where, where they are. Because our purpose, our goal is always to get the gospel into the world. Our goal is always to be salt and light in the world. We stand for Christ. We represent Christ. We are the flavor of the world. We are what give the world flavor. Salt and light. We are what preserve those who have accepted Christ, but they're young in the faith. We are salt and light. Then it says, recompense to no man evil for evil. If someone gives you evil, you bless them. You give them good. You don't give them back evil. There's nothing different about the world if that's what we do. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men to the best of your ability. Try to be at peace with everybody. I know we all got that neighbor that just gets on our nerves. Try your best to be at peace. If that apple hangs over the fence, just grab it and make some apple pies. I don't know. But try your best to be at peace. If they cut you off, blow them a kiss, smile at them, say, you must be in a hurry, you all right. Don't, don't get mad and cuss them out. Or just lay on your horn. Just bless them. Say, Lord, I want you to protect them because they're driving kind of crazy and I don't want any hurt, harm, or danger to come to them or anyone else because they're tripping. Every time I see a motorcycle person weaving out, I say, Lord, be with them. Be with them. Pray for them. It says, verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Someone does you wrong, forgive them. Let it go. Don't hold a grudge. Lord, the Lord is ultimately the one who will get everybody. And nobody is going to get off scot-free. Nobody is going to get off clean. God has a record. He's keeping score. He's tallying. And he's there. But watch this. He forgave you for what? So the least you can do is forgive other people. Therefore, if thine enemy is hungry, give him some need. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I always heard that say, ooh, you're going to burn him up. Yeah, Lord. That's not what it means. It just, it just means that it touches him in such a great way that makes him say, wow, 
what's going on. It just burns up in there. And it puts you in a different light. I always tell the story. My best friend in the whole world, when we, when we first met, we, were, we didn't like each other. We didn't like each other. And thank God we never got into any altercations or everything, but we just steered clear, clear of each other. And then as we got older, I guess a couple years passed or whatever, and we just had mutual friends, we found that we had everything in common. And now that is my best friend in the world. Now, what if I would have just held a grudge or just said I don't want to deal with him or walked away whenever he came into the room? Then I would have lost someone who has been great and influential in my life. He's been in my wedding. I've been in his wedding. Just everything. Our kids. Just uh, My best friend, P, if you're watching, you're my boy. I love you, man. You never know. Verse 21, and then we'll get out of here. It says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the way we have the power to do this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us gifts that help us in our time of need. That's why I like this chapter. But it all comes together when we are living sacrifices, when we turn over the keys of our lives completely. And we allow him to steer and to drive us. Now, that doesn't mean that you just go sit in the room and say, okay, Lord, whatever happens, whenever it happens, then it's ready. You continue down your normal path of life. But when those curveballs come, embrace them. Go with them. Lean into them. See where God takes you. Amen? That's what I got. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word. I got through one chapter, Lord, today, but thank you. Uh, we just pray that it's been a blessing, Father. Allow it to just seep in there in our hearts, Father. Let us think about it uh, as we go through the week, Father. I know we got some questions. We'll talk about it in groups, Father, but we just pray that you allow your word to just spring forth in our lives, Father, and make our lives a little easier, Father. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm supposed to. Uh, those online, we have some questions here. Uh, share an example of how God has, I felt like it was Sunday. Share an example of how God has reshaped your thinking on how you live. Uh, which gift do you naturally function in? And these are the ones we were just talking about. See Romans 12, 6 through 9. And what's that? That camera's blocking it. Uh, share a practical example of blessing someone who has persecuted you or treated you wrong. Um, those are our questions. So we'll break up in our groups and we'll talk about them. Uh, those of you online, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Amen. <laughs>